commercial property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. Hi okay, everyone, how are you going? It's Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Inside Commercial Property, the one-stop shop for you if you want to get into property investing and uh, if you are currently a property investor uh, in commercial, deepening your skill set around it so you can do what you do better. Uh, it's not me. I, as I was pretty clear pretty early on with this podcast. It's a real privilege for me to be able to navigate this, increase my education around commercial lending and commercial property, driven by the guy that knows a lot about it, Scott O'Neill, my co-host, uh, Rethink Investing. How are you going, Scott? Very good. good, mate. Good to be here again. What's the word on the street? What's happening? JobKeeper's over. Yeah, is commercial property sinking through the roof because they're not going to afford it. <laughs> well, that's what the media would have you say. Yeah, I but know. <laughs> look, there are pockets, but you know, part of our due diligence on tenants is to make sure they're not on JobKeeper before we buy the asset. So it's not really affecting us yet, and you know, we're I guess picking the right areas, which uh, is less prone to those types of uh, you know risks. So mm. it's really busy out there. We're um, almost you know struggling to find enough property, but that's always going to be the example of commercial because it is low stock. When it comes to good quality stuff uh, out there, you're not going to just go buy vacant properties in the middle of nowhere. You look for the good stuff and. Yeah. That's the majority of our day, really. Just so you all know, before we come on air, I was, I was pumping up Scott's tyres by reading some of the reviews on iTunes. So go and check them out. They're pretty cool. Thank you for everyone who has written in. We get a real kick out of it. But I'm not going to do that on air because that's just not the way I roll. But uh, I just wanted to share something with you all. And it's a pretty cool bit of feedback. And, you know, if you've run a podcast or you're a podcaster, you will know this, but most of you probably only listen to podcasts. It's very much uh, sometimes a one-way conversation. So you've got to make sure that the conversation you have on air is as valuable as possible to keep people listening and create some sort of connectivity with them. So it is a quite a challenging medium, but it's a really good medium because you get to be yourself and it's very authentic and it's very forgiving, this sort of stuff. So lends itself to how we go about doing stuff here. But it's great when we get some feedback. We get a real kick out of it. So please do keep it coming. And it's just not myself and Scott here behind the mics. We're a real talented team of streaming and broadcasting professionals who who make us sound good so it means more for them but i'll read out this bit of feedback uh scott i don't know if you've seen it yet mate but um i've been sitting on it just to kick us off with this particular podcast it's from jess so thanks jess jess writes uh g'day gents just wanted to drop your line and thank you for creating a podcast tailored to commercial property this is something we as in the investing community have been missing. I completely agree, hence the reason why we did it. But uh, it's good to see that's acknowledged. Jess continues, uh, you mentioned you may do a Q&A episode and I wanted to run something past Scott. So we will do a Q&A episode, but this is just to give you a bit of an idea of how we can go about doing this and how we can ensure that we can ask answer these questions as uh, they come through. Jess asks, uh, I'm an avid property investor. My wife and I started building our residential property portfolio in our early 20s and are very happy with where it is right now with just over 10 years in our investing journey. We've built a property portfolio, Scott, of 16 properties, so they're not messing around. Mm. Only two of these are commercial and both of the commercial properties are for our business. This leads to my question, why as a business owner would you rent instead of purchase as soon as the cash flow or position would allow? I understand why this may not be the case for publicly listed companies or large organisations, but if we are talking about properties sub two million bucks and you lease the property, why wouldn't you buy it if you knew the strength of your own business? Am I looking into this too much? Uh, Is that just my thought process because I've been heading towards property from a young age? I'm keen to keep learning more about commercial property from your podcast and appreciate the knowledge you're putting out as a long-term listener of Smart Property Investment, this complements amazing well. Keep up the good work, boys. So thanks, Jess. So crystallise the question, Scott. 
Should you buy commercial property and rent it yourself and claim the business deduction and all the other stuff, or should you rent it out to someone else and rent somewhere as a business owner and still claim the business deduction? Yeah, look, there's obviously different situations, but of look, to answer Justice's question direct, a lot of businesses don't purchase the property, mostly because they might make more return via their business by buying stock or employing someone else. So sinking one, two, three million dollars into a property, if you know you're you've got large quantities of stock, that might be uh, not really that worthwhile. You might get a thirty percent return out of your business and through the property you might get seven, eight percent return plus growth. But you know, it just depends on your strategy. If you've got the money and you don't need to pump it all into your business through marketing or staff, or you know, then yes, buy the property because there are great deductions. But then you need to look at you know into the uh, actual return. So it's almost like a rent vesting question: Are you going to make more money by investing somewhere else? And for me personally, I, I actually see it sometimes a little bit more risky putting all your eggs in the one basket. So if you've got all your business in one area and then you're renting. That's a lot of invested capital in that one spot. So mm. a bit of diversity long-term might be a good thing as well. But, you know, it definitely can work. So there's valid reasons for and against, and that's why a lot of people purchase properties in their super fund, rent back off themselves. But then, you know, you want to think about your retirement. One day you won't be working in that business, but the properties will actually be there to uh, pay you the retirement income. So you'll probably have another business there, not your own at mm. that time. So there's a lot to consider, but... You know, there's pros and cons like everything. There is pros and cons and my recommendation would speak to a good accountant around this because if you are renting back off your super fund, then it's just like renting from anyone. You're just the landlord and the tenant at the same time. So I imagine the same tax implications would apply. The challenge is as a business owner, what do you do? You buy a property for your business today or do you buy a property for your business tomorrow or do you buy a property for your business yesterday? You know, if you're a growth business, you don't want to be locked into somewhere. And if you purpose purchase something and fit it out for your particular business and you grow when you have to move and find different uh, location, who's going to rent that out? You can compromise the investment. Might be a whole bunch of costs associated with it. Scott, and this is sort of connects in with what we'll have a chat about today. If you own a property and you improve the property, you know, there's going to be tax benefits from that through depreciation of fit outs and stuff. But, you know, how do you write that stuff off if you need to move on and the next person comes in and guts it all and, you know, it's all these complicated stuff, right? Exactly. And I've always been a fan of rent investing. You know, I personally, you know, I actually bought 29 properties personally before the one I lived in. I rented for a very long period. And the reason I did that was rent was cheaper where I was living in Sydney versus buying. And also, I didn't want to purchase a forever home you know, a lot of people start by buying a one or two bedroom unit, sit in that for a few years and then they get a pet or have a kid and they go, all right, I need a three bedroom townhouse and then eventually a four bedroom house. It's sort of, you know, generally what most people follow. Mm. But that's, you know, you've got to sell, you've got to pay a sales agent, you've got to pay stamp duty three times, you know, rather just rent and wait, you know, until the period where you're ready to settle down. Like that's just me personally. But you know, a lot of people have told they must go and buy the house and not rent because rent money is dead money. Rent money is only dead money if you haven't invested it somewhere else. This is true. And have you bought your forever home yet? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. So. Is it a forever home now or your forever home sort of changed, has it? Oh, uh, no, well, we're going to knock it down, yeah. <laughs> so, same location. Foreverland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Foreverland. <laughs> so Neverland, Foreverland. But um, yeah, lots to consider there, Jess. It's good that you're considering the opportunities and a lot of it's going to be based on the business, but Anything like, you know, you've got 16 properties, 14 of which, quick sums, resi, 
you know, it's the same old thing. Uh, how and what is that particular property going to do in your portfolio? What's the purpose of having it? What's the long-term plans for it? You know, and all the fundamentals with investing in residential property, making sure someone else is going to want to buy it at some point in time because if you ever need to shift it or rent it out, you need to make sure that's the case. But um, let us know how you get on with that, Jess. Uh, keen to hear what you do or how you go about doing it and that journey. So um, maybe we can come on and have a chat. We're happy to get them on, get them on the podcast. For sure. Yeah, these would be cool. Investor stories around that. But um, we touched on it quickly, Scott, but um, one component of owning the asset class in commercial properties is how, like investing in residential property, how you can manufacture equity in it. So how can you buy something for X and turn it into X plus whatever to create Y? It's a tried and tested strategy in resi property. For example, you buy a property which is at the lower end of the market in a particular suburb, knowing that if you did a nice cosmetic renovation, you could take it up to one of the more expensive properties in a particular suburb. Same applies largely in commercials. That's a big thrust of how I want to take our chat today. Scott, uh, value adding when it comes to commercial property. Let's kick off absolute basic fundamentals. Does the same apply in residential? The philosophy of adding value to a property apply in commercial as it does in residential? Exactly. So essentially all you're doing is finding easy ways to attract more potential buyers and tenants. So as you said, that might be things like, you know, a cosmetic renovation because that might make it more attractive to tenants because they can see their business being there. They might pay a premium for it. So if you increase the rent, that increases the value of the property. You can do more obscure things like get council approval to have longer opening hours. You know, if you are can do that, then the business trading in that location can make more money, which means they're going to pay more money for the rent per square meter. So it's about making the property look better in terms of physical presence, but making the numbers look better as well. So another way is, you know, we'll go into more detail, but lowering the outgoings. That could be things like solar panels because you could lower the electricity bill, which means you can uh, effectively increase the net yield on the property. That makes it more attractive to an investor. Obviously, things like repairs just Getting rid of uh, problems for a future owner is going to lower the cost and you might get a benefit out of that in terms of the sale price. And yeah, we'll keep going into more things like that. But yes, the rules apply, but there's actually extra ways to add value because the numbers are so important with commercial and there's less of the emotional, you know, make it pretty look. It's really about make the numbers look better and Mm. there's ways to do that. Yeah, and I guess using that same analogy, you don't necessarily – want to make the numbers look better in residential property because you're not trying to beef up the valuation as much to try and attract a different type of tenant or or large corporates obviously borrow against the value of their properties, right? It's a little bit difficult to do that in resi. So adding value, you're adding value in resi property for the purpose of capital growth and you're also making the property better so you can attract either more rent or create a stickier tenant. So that all applies. Exactly. It it all applies, right? So what is different then in this regards? Like where is commercial? You mentioned, and we'll get into them, those things where you can actually improve the asset, which is different to commercial. You've got more levers and buttons, levers to pull and buttons to press, but where is it different? Where doesn't that philosophy apply? Uh, So you're going to be able to, like investors are such an important part of commercial as well. So things like lease security, you know, lease security for residential doesn't really matter too much as long as it's a good vacancy rate. But like you said, if you increase the rent from 500 a week to 520, it's really not going to have a huge impact on the price. Mm-hmm. But if you did that same thing with commercial, it has a direct impact when you recalculate it on the yield. So 
I guess that direct nature of uh, changing the increased rent value or uh, lease security actually has a huge impact on price. And, you know, there's obviously, you don't just go out only looking for ad values because, you know, a lot of people do that with commercial because it's, you know, they hear these stories and that's where it's important to make sure the fundamentals of the property are right because it's the long-term, I guess, value of the area through capital growth, reletting potential, through, uh, you know, the quality of tenants you'll attract, which will be more important over time. But when you're purchasing it, it's good to get a little value add opportunity, of course. And, you know, I've personally pulled off a few of these and like, I'll give you some examples, you know, bringing back to that time where um, I was buying a house a couple of years ago, the bank wanted extra deposit down last minute. So I actually had to sell a property within a, you know, very short time frame. So I looked through my portfolio and I had this warehouse in Newcastle. I paid 400 grand for it. 12 months later, I actually renegotiated the lease. So same value. It, I, look, it just turned it into a three-year. It was halfway through a, a three-year lease at the time. So I got them to you know, basically accept the renewal on it. And that equated to a 24% increase in value. So I paid 400 and I sold it for 495 in seven days. So Newcastle, it's a very tight market. The reason it went up so much you know, there was a value add through the increase of the security of the lease, but it was also the yield compression. So that's happening right now for commercial investors because interest rates are so low, investors are paying more and more for the same value of rent. So we're seeing very, very strong growth rates on any good quality property at the moment. So it's a really good time to be in commercial right now because the interest rates are actually, on average, they're probably around 3.5% for most everyday investors and Mm. some bigger investors are getting into the 2%, like 2.1, 2.2% interest rates. If we're going out there to get a 7% return net, that's like for some people it's a 5% gap between the net yield on offer and the interest rate. So that's almost too great. So mm. that's influencing price growth because the numbers are working so well. And that's one of the reasons I saw such sharp increase in that Newcastle property. I think I could have had more if I did a proper marketing campaign as well, but 24% in you know, worked out to be 13 months of ownership. Served a purpose. Yeah, did a good little job. So, so I was going to ask you the question because a lot of resi, and I'll keep pulling back resi versus commercial because that's what a lot of people in this podcast understands. A lot of people embark on a residential purpose for the purpose of manufacturing equity and creating something new. So the question I was going to ask you, you sort of answered it was, do you approach commercial investing the same? Do you try and find a property that you can increase the value of first or do you wait until you've purchased the property and then start thinking about value adding at a point in time so do you just invest on the fundamentals and that really is just a bit of an afterthought or or an after exercise yeah so how do you get the balance right i always look at you have to have a long-term picture with any property so Mm -hmm. to answer your question i'd always want to know that there's long-term growth in the property so you don't go buy out in the middle of whoop whoop because it's a great yield you know you want to know that that property is going to be have a consistent rent growth story to it. So that's your capital growth. You want to know that if you lost that tenant, there's a large pool of other tenants to quickly replace it mm-hmm. because vacancy is one of the number one reasons people steer away from commercial. So you want to mitigate your risk there and not go for properties that are going to have long vacancy periods. So forget the initial yield, forget the value add opportunity. I want to know that that's going to be a very good quality. And that's the key word, quality investment for a long period of time. So if there's a value add on top of that, great. But you don't only go buy properties for flipping 
because it's Australia, there's stamp duty, there's horrible taxes for short-term flips. It's not the US. It doesn't work as well to do flipping. And commercial has the added benefit that residential doesn't. With In fact, you're going to get significant cash flow every year you hold, assuming there's not large vacancies. So you're going to make more money long-term by buying a good quality area that's got a high yield. And you know if we can find a value add during that, and this is the good thing, you can get it after, you know, like in my example where we just renegotiated a lease that was about eight months into ownership. And then at the time, you could technically just get a revaluation when the lease is fresh because it looks good to a valuer. So they'll, you know, pump the valuation up because of the lease security. So you don't need to do it day one. You don't only buy a property just for value add, but it is a nice bonus that you can implement at any time of ownership. And, you know, there's many ways to do that, which we'll go through. Yeah. So what are the steps then to enhance or improve your commercial property? So you should be thinking about it in the background at the time of acquisition and search. So if we just assume that you have a property, so it's got to be the same thing, whether you're not you're buying it for purpose or you've actually got it. What are those steps? What do you need to do first? Who do you need to lean on to help you get this right? So one of the first things I look at is when you've got a lease in place, it's generally you can't do too much with that lease because it's mm. locked in. So most of the value, like, but you want to know your value add potential right now when you're buying. So things like you need to look into the square meter rates. That's probably my easiest number one way of finding value adds. When you search an area, you might find the average square meter rate is 200 a square meter, but the one we're buying might have 170 a square meter. So all you really need to do is at the time of the lease expiry, renegotiate that lease up. And there's ways to soften the blow for the tenant. It might be, you know, give them a longer lease with lower increases on it, or it might be an incentive, which is just like a once-off free rent period, but then long-term it has the benefit of a higher valuation because you've got your square meter rates higher. There's, you know, you might contribute to a fit-out, which you can claim depreciation on that. It adds value to the property, the physical side of it. So, you know, mezzanines are one that come up a lot for us where there's a lot of unapproved mezzanines in the property, and this is a trap for many novice investors. You so could, mezzanine just being where someone knocks up a second floor on some metal truss and joists, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a work platform, but it could be as extensive as a fully fitted out office. Mm. And if that's not council approved, that's not floor so space. So it's like a dodgy pergola. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But a lot of them are built as per Australian standards, but they're not registered with the council. Okay. So technically, the valuer can't include that in the floor space. So you might have a 200 square metre office inside a property that's not legal. And that means it's that- happened a lot, this? Like, all the time. Like it's everywhere. So do people just go, it's just too hard to, to get development approval and takes time, I need More it contributions as well. It's a bit of a shortcut for cost cutting. Okay. Sometimes tenants add it in post-construction because mm. that's what tenants do. They, they need extra space and- Jimmy up a second level. But when what happens is you can actually find a sales agent selling that floor space, which will make evaluation very difficult. So- How do you know it's legal or not legal? Got to get- Approve council plans. Okay. So you can talk to town planners, mm. just ask for the documentation. But that's also a value add because if you're not paying for that mezzanine and you buy it and then all you've got to do is get it council approved, then all of a sudden you can technically charge more rent for that floor space that's appeared out of nowhere. So just uh, this is a case study. So if you identify that it's not 
a legal you know, addition. You just need to get an engineer in to work out whether or not it is built to certain standards. And if it is, if you go through the right process, you should be able to get an approval for it. Yep. And then just lodge yeah. the DA with the council. and it's Just part of your negotiation for that. So, so that's yep. gold dust if you find that, right? Yeah, but just make sure you don't pay extra for it because mm. it will, like the valuers won't include it. So yeah. that contributes to short valuations mm. if you've missed that in your due diligence. But it's not the end of the world. Like sometimes to get a valuation through, it's a simple just, you know, delay settlement until it's council approved and, you know, the job gets done that way. So just another, I'll do a little case study on this. So you mentioned a good way to add value is to increase the square metre rate. So it's apples for apples, really. It's a it's common piece of tangible, you know, sort of connectivity of any commercial property is how big is it and how much you're getting for each one of those little square metres. So if you're a visual person, you know, a square metre is a metre by a metre. How many of them can you fit? into a floor plate. So you said increase the square meter rate, but then offer incentives. So so that's the difference between increasing the asset base by getting a greater valuation because you're getting more per square meter, sort of compromised by the cash flow of giving away rent-free or discounts or or whatever. So what would a bank look at a valuation point of view? Do they just want to see the sort of face rent? Is that what they base their valuation on? So it doesn't matter if you're giving discounts away to someone. Yep. They don't really care too much about that because that's how much cash it's generating rather than what it's worth. Can you sort of explain that a little bit more and how you get around all that? Well, so there's many valuation methods, but one is looking at the yield, Mm. you know, the cap rate for the area. So if you can increase the yield, uh, you know, you're increasing the cash flow, which is going to increase the valuation. Like you said, you've copped a a rent-free period, but that's on you as the current owner. If you're not going to pass that rent-free period on to the next owner, then the asset is worth money based on that volume of rent coming in yeah so and there's uh, other ways you know to do it like you might reposition the property like we've seen many warehouses that have a showroom capability showroom is worth more than a back area you know commercial space so you know if you uh, tidy the property up and you know increase the value of the fit out that can increase the value of the square meter rate you can charge you know put better lighting and paint the place just freshen it up that's very cosmetic base but mm. tenants will uh you know, that might help their business because of it, getting more customers in and different quality customers. Like there's there's many sort of ways to do that. Increase the volume of the property in terms of, you know, you might do an extension out the back. You know, that's a common one with, say, industrial where you a might- A legal extension. A legal one. Not a lean to. And yeah. run it through <laughs> properly and then you've got more square meters to charge. Yeah. And, and then the tenant, you might have a whole new tenant, multi-tenant one. Mm. Office space- and retail per square meter is generally more expensive than industrial as well. So sometimes you might be able to increase the volume of the office in it, which could you know mean you can charge more mm. as well. So again, it all needs to be done properly with the council. But value is for value, office space, retail, you know, floor space ratio. All of that comes into it. Yeah. So is there a start then? So if you go, all right, it's time for me to add value to this property. How would you go about doing that? Does a list exist of all these things you've spoken about? It sounds like it's a secret inside your head that, uh, <laughs> that we need to get get on paper for our listeners. Look, it's probably a good starting point is chat with your rental manager, your leasing manager, because it all comes down to how, like, if your lease is up for expiry and that's probably an opportunity to start talking about value adds, we need to find out what the demand for the market is out there. So if you've got a lot of people looking for Main Street showrooms and you've just got this old ratty industrial you know that you've been renting out to a tire shop then you might be able to reposition it for a, you know a bathroom showroom type place and 
we need to know if there's tenants looking for that stuff in the market. Mm. You don't want to drop money on properties that are you know not going to be leased out with the plan. So having a local really know the market inside out will be a good starting point and then you're repositioning the property for that future tenant. Or you might know, the, like I like talking with a current tenant to find out what improvements they need. So you might contribute to a fit out, you know, let's say you drop 50 grand on it to put a larger mezzanine in there and paint the place outside, you know, whatever it is, that 50 grand could be amortized into the rent, the future rent value to say, look, we're going to spend all this money, our money to improve the property, but we're going to need to get that back via rent. So I've seen that many times, like probably almost more retail where there's a very specialized expensive fit out, but you can then, you know, basically amortize that future value into the rent, which obviously increases the yield for you. But, you know, it's almost like a rent-free period, essentially. Mm. It's quite similar, but you're getting it back through the uh, ongoing rent. So if you're increasing the value of a property across two sides, one is to increase the square meter rate and therefore increase the value of it, and then also to potentially lift the, or to create a stickier tenant and also lift the rent they're going to pay. If you spend money on value and let's talk about a fit-out, right, do you end up in arguments with tenants around who owns the fit-out, as in, do I get to appreciate this or do they get to appreciate that? How does that work? It's always just going to be noted very clearly in the lease. Mm. So it's always different, you know, but the lawyers will make it absolutely black and white. There'll be a make good clause in there potentially, like the tenant or owner will be specified who owns any of that. And um, it's going to be spelled out, but it will vary just, you know, so you need your lawyers involved, you need your property manager and you just got to know the market and then reposition it for that future value add. But mm. One of the easiest ones is, you know, you just look at local square meter rates and if your one's way under, then you almost, your evaluate is just a spreadsheet where yeah. you go and talk to the tenant and say, this is what all your neighbours are renting out. You're way under. How do we fix this? Mm-hmm. And then it's just a negotiation between people and it doesn't mean you're just going to get an instant increase to the market rate. There's going to be some, you know, give and take in every situation. So you just need to find out what the tenant needs. Is their business performing well in that location is it getting too big or too small for them and you know that's why i like commercial it's not black and white it's just negotiating at every level long term it is and it just goes there are so many things you negotiate on and that's the big difference with resi so you need to be right across it so let's crystallize this then scott and uh, something tangible and i like lists the top five questions you need to ask when you're considering adding value to a commercial property number one so Number one is what square meter rate is the current property receiving versus the market rent for similar properties. If you don't know that, you've got no chance of adding value and you might overpay for the property. So that's almost just a really good way of valuing the property to start with. So number two is in terms of value add is just look at things like I mentioned, approvals on the property. So you need to know if the tenant is approved, you know, like is a gym allowed in a industrial zone? You know, is there a, a mezzanine not approved where there's incorrect accounting for a floor space that shouldn't really be there? So that's you know almost back to the valuation point of view. Mm. You need to understand the relatability of the property, which means you've got to understand you know is the property positioned in a nice enough way that you'll find other tenants. So that comes back to things like maintenance, you know, the appearance of the property. Is there repairs you know like leaks in roofs that are going to cause the tenant to leave because if you've got all that stuff sorted then you know it's going to be easier to obviously uh, find a new tenant to pay Mm -hmm. more rent 
The outgoings are a big part. Number four, outgoings. So what are the current outgoings? And that's like put it this way, 80% of the properties we purchase, the outgoings specified by the agents are, are off. So whether or not they've forgotten land tax or there's said 100% of the outgoings are covered but they've forgot three or four items or they're underestimated the insurance quote. So you might find advantages in the outgoings are less. So this is where things like solar panels can come into it because if there's a three grand electricity bill the current tenant's paying each year, you can then install solar panels, claim the depreciation on that, lower their three grand bill to not much, and then that means you could potentially you know, increase the rent or you're going to claim that deduction yourself. Three grand extra in your pocket, that's going to have a good impact on yield. So know your outgoings inside and out. But view, view and like actually view the rates notices and the insurance bills. Don't take anyone's word for it because mm. playing around with outgoings is a way to value add. And um, probably number just five. N- yeah. number one is just knowing the improvements of the property, the potential. So this is more of a long term. Is the area growing? Is there a you know a potential for rezoning? Is there a, you know a better repositioning of the property, like from industrial to showroom, or converting an office into residential you know so you know obviously we've seen the likes of alexandria convert from industrial areas to high-rise residential transitionability if that's a word can you actually move it from one asset class to another yeah and following just the old gentrification buzzword is Mm -hmm. a big part of that if an area is improving that's going to lead you to rezoning changes. Like it, that's more of a long-term value-add, but a significant one. So that's a, that number five there is just how you can transition a property from one to another. So rezoning is a key one. We spoke about that in episode number four where you buy commercial property with view to hold it at a point in time, sell it as residential property. Yep. You know, And that's Alexandria is a case in point with that. You know, yep. And Alexandria, for those people who aren't Sydney-siders, if you drive from Sydney out to the airport on the right-hand side there, that's all historically industrial industrial properties out there. And now half of it's probably you know, high-rise apartments. So someone's done well out of that. But that's mm-hmm. a long-term play, right? Yeah. It's a long-term play. So buying for the purpose of rezoning. And that probably normally costs a few more bucks than sort of more mum and dad type commercial investing, right? Yeah. And- it's a long, long-term play, like waiting for- It's like land banking, isn't it? Like when you're buying greenfield properties, waiting for the urban sprawl and a couple of generations to hit it, right? Yeah, and this is where you really got to get your strategies right. Like most people come to commercial because it's got significant cash flow. Mm. So you don't want to go and take a really low yield just because you think in 10 years' time it might be worth more. Like, you know, the old Badgery Creek story, there's people that have bought huge blocks of land and triple paid what it was 10 years ago because maybe- It'll be worth more in 10 years' time. See, that to me is it's too slow, too unreliable. Unless you've got heaps of money just sitting around, you can exactly. do that. Sort of, <laughs> and that's the normally people who buy that big family offices. You just go, oh, yeah, you know, just yeah. put it out there. Don't need the cash, you know. But exactly. Guys like me, you don't really get that uh, get that opportunity. Um, that's good. So that's five points there of what you need to consider, questions you need to ask when looking at a value add. So what value adds have you personally done in your properties? Outside of like manipulating the square meter rate through some smart renegotiation of leases and stuff, like anything actually tangible you've done? Yeah. So another one, it was one of my first properties ever. It was a little supermarket in Perth where like it had 14 months left on the lease at the time. So got it at a good yield because of that. And during that time, we renegotiated to a five by five year lease with 4% increases. So again, it was just a lease renegotiation. 4% is pretty common as a commercial lease. Is that the sort of common? Yes, but yeah. it's more three okay. is probably average. Yeah. Um, CPI is obviously 
up and down depending on the well, year. At the moment, it's a recession, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> so CPI is not fantastic, but at the mm. same time, the tenant's going to be happy. CPI, yeah, as long as the face rent's fine, then you know you're not going to fall behind the market. Mm. But three percent or fixed four percent, you're going to actually gain ground on the economy. So that means you're going to get increased value on your property. So. My 14-month uh, lease turned into a five-year actually resulted in a 16% increase in value. Okay. And I've still got that property. It's ticking away nicely. Had a few 4% increases hit. So so you didn't do anything physically to it. You just renegotiated the lease. Like You didn't yeah. sort of put new car park in or anything. Nothing. Like I was going to paint the outside of the property like mm. to a, but I didn't even get around to it because it wasn't needed. So nothing. And that's mm. the great thing. And that's the biggest difference with residential. Like you can't just create 16% value without picking up a paintbrush or- And that's a key difference. And that to me is the clear difference between commercial and residential property. To manufacture increased equity in a residential property, you've got to do something, you know. Oh, the stuff that which wouldn't be picking up a paintbrush would maybe, you know, forcing a rezoning on something, but that's pretty hard to do. Or getting a DA on something, but then you can only realise the value increase of that DA- by someone picking up a hammer and, and picking up a paintbrush, right? Exactly. Very different commercial. Exactly. You don't need to do any of that sort of stuff. No, it's literally just, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, it's an accountant's spreadsheet. How mm. do you increase the value with the numbers? And it's things like increasing the length of lease. The reason it increased in value is because, think of it this way, if I showed that property to an investor with a 14-month lease, would they love it? Mm. Probably not. But if I showed them with a five-year lease with a five-year option and 4% increases, that sounds a lot more attractive. So yeah. people will pay more for that. So what about something tangible you've done or you've seen one of your clients do on a, a commercial property? Have, uh, you, have you actually had anyone install a, you know, a mezzanine or- Yeah, uh, lo- lots sort of, of those. Lots yeah. of solar panels are very common ones. So yeah. you know, we've bought shopping centres, for instance, where you've got 1,500 square metres of roof just sitting there doing nothing, mm. you know, especially- The baking if, sun. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're in uh, northern Australia, you know, you know, anywhere north of Sydney, it's, you just get so much sun all the time. So you can smash the uh, outgoings bills of that. So, you know, you, we've had shopping centres where, you know, you know, one we were looking at, there was a 30 grand a month bill for the electricity because they've got all the, you know, all the lights, all the refrigerations, freezers. Yeah. So, you know, whack a large amount of uh, solar panels on that and you can go back to the business and say, look, we're going to, you know, decrease your outgoings. You know, then you get to increase your uh, depreciation. You know, over a ten-year period, you get that back at your tax rate. Mm. It's quite attractive. So that will increase the net yield on the property, which will in turn increase the value of the property. So what about stuff like adding amenities, like you know, shopping centres or even industrial units or even you know, commercial office? Like if you add some dunnies or a disabled toilet or get stuff up to code, is that help with uh, value increase as well? Yeah, because it just in- like things like adding car spaces you know one we're looking at is uh it's got all that so but it's got some spare land mm. and, uh, this is a shopping center again as well so we're looking at putting a drive-through something there so bottle shop or something like that. anything like yeah. that because it's basically going to bring more people to the area you know there's imagine if you get a whole new tenancy out of that that's going to add a lot of value so yeah. what we're doing is doing the research to work out what drive-throughs are needed in that area so again it's understanding the rental market Working out the costs, we know it's zoned for that. So you could, we could put anywhere from a car wash to a KFC there. You know, that's it's a nice open slather there. So 
But we don't want to build it without mm. having some kind of pre-commitment as well from a tenant. So that's something else we're going to be working so with. So say you chuck a KFC on the corner. How would you go about doing that? Do you just call up KFC and say, hey, do you need a new chicken shop in whatever suburb? Is that pretty much what you do? Exactly. Like, yeah. you know, each tenant operates differently, mm. but having someone that's got a contact and knows that they're looking is a big part of it. So KFC is obviously a hard fish to land, but yeah. there's many guys that are- uh, KFC would be a good client, wouldn't it? They've yeah. got a good tenant. And the better the quality of tenant, and that's something we haven't mentioned, mm. better quality tenants generate a lower yield. So to quantify that, so let's say you've got a hairdresser, which a no-branded hairdresser individual, you might say, all right, 8% is what I need to justify that purchase. But then you turn that hairdresser after they leave, five years later, you've got a well-known dentist in there. All of a sudden, that's not going to sell at an 8% net yield. It mm. might sell at a 5 because that's a lot more attractive to many more investors. So better quality tenants generate lower yields. And, you know, if you've got 50 grand rent coming in and, you know, you can then cap rate it at a 5% yield, you're making a huge increase in value versus the same thing at 8 So this is sort of risk and reward. So a lower quality tenant, you get more money out of them. Yep. But there's more risk in having them as a tenancy, whereas someone like a KFC, they're going to negotiate pretty hard for the cheapest rent possible, but you've got continuity of getting paid and yeah. all that usual stuff. So when you're looking at then not a single-use property, we're talking about maybe a, a number of, let's talk about a small suburban shopping centre, right? So you need a mixture of high-yielding tenants who might have more of a flight risk and then lower yielding stronger tenants like an IGA or a Liquorland or something like that who you know you're going to get paid irrespective of what's going on. How should you strike that balance? Well, yeah, it's the balance, the key. Yeah. So you don't want four hairdressers in there and they've all got really great yields because they'll go bust, mm. you know, if there's too much competition. So, you know, like it's all about just having that right mix. And an example, we bought, you know, another shopping centre which had a vacancy in there. And it was. It had, like you said, a very strong supermarket in there, and there was a couple of riskier tenants. Like news agencies are a little bit riskier. So one of our value add plays there is, in time, like as long as they're paying rent, happy days. We don't want them to go, stay as long as possible. But long term, they might not be there in fifteen years. So we wanted to imagine what types of tenants could, you know, be replaced there. And we we're thinking like physios or. A, because there was already a doctor and a chemist and we were thinking, all right, there's not many physios in this area and that was an opportunity. So you to- market for purpose. You say this is come and hate physios or, you know, other sports science type people. Yeah, and it's not – It's you would market for anyone, mm. but you'll be selective when taking tenants on if you're not in a rush. You know, yeah. if, if you've got a vacancy, you, yeah, you'll take whoever you'll get depending on the market, but mm. – it's always good to strike the right balance long term because obviously that'll increase the value of the center as a whole. There's lots of what about dog groomers? You need a dog groomer everywhere these days, don't you? Yeah, Fancy location. You'd have plenty of dog groomers out your way, wouldn't you? Yeah. Every second shop's probably a dog groomer. Yeah. Crystal Car Wash has got their own now, don't they? <laughs> They've got a dog grooming thing now. I've seen a few. Yeah. Well, you put your dog in while you get your car washed. Apparently. Oh, yeah. yeah. Diversify. <laughs> but, but we laugh, but um, Tenants that can diversify is probably not a bad tendency either. Who can, you yeah. know, when stuff like COVID happens, how do you pivot and move and shift and, and all those things? So, um, yeah, you got to make sure you've got the right tenant and balancing that out. Where do people go wrong in terms of renos? Can you overcapitalize on a renovation in commercial like you would a? And also, what's the difference between a renovation and a fit out? Two different things? 
Yeah, it depends on your definition. But look, if you're changing the actual external part of the building, mm. you know, that's a little bit different. Capital works, essentially. Capital works. So capital works are going to um, either increase the value of the property without the tenant in mm. there. Renovations, honestly, a lot of it just falls back on the tenant because remember the tenant pays for their own outgoing. So yeah. thing, repairs and maintenance don't fall on you as an owner. So if you are going to spend money on that, you'd be wanting something in return because – and that's where I mentioned like amortizing your uh, repairs or maintenance or contributions to fit out into mm. the rent. So at least you're getting something back as an investor. But yeah, capital works are generally more significant things like extensions to the building or yeah. adding floor space. You know? And this one, do you end up in an argument with the the landlord if you're a tenant around, well, that's a base building cost, that's yours versus this is actually inside my door and therefore mine, you know. Walls falling down, that's you, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Owner, rather than me having to repair it. But that should all be pretty clear in a lease, right? Yeah, you just let the solicitors handle that. So, yeah. again, I haven't seen many big arguments. It's because it's black and white generally, mm. which is nice. Yeah. Okay, some really good points there. So, conscious of time, Scott, you know, having a really good buyer's agent that uh, specialises in commercial it's pretty clear that that's probably a good expert you can lean on. We spoke really quickly around, you know, maybe engineers getting involved. But what type of experts do you need on your side when you're looking to add value and, and stuff like this? What would be the gamut of the A team you would normally have? Yep. So having probably the best rental manager work for you and uh, and make sure they're not just associated with the sales agents involved in the purchase, especially you know, I always talk mm. to a few different leasing managers because they've all got different opinions and then you'll know what the tenant market is doing. So. Is a leasing manager your friend if you're a tenant or are they always looking after the oh. – you know what I mean? Like where's the balance? How do you know if they're maybe on the side of the tenant too it's much a good question. looking after your interests? Because that does happen and that's where like we're a buyer's agent. We only represent the buyer. So I have a lot of my clients come back to me with the rental manager's thoughts and sometimes they're not as – investor friendly as I like. So we kind of, I guess, go back, you know, we represent the buyers and we'll sort of, I guess, cross-check everything for them. So, you know, a buyer's agent will do that for you because, yes, the leasing manager can take the easy road out and just please the tenant, especially if the uh, investor isn't asking the right questions. So, Mm. uh, you know, a buyer's agent, leasing manager, having a good town planner is valuable because then they can tell you about the council you know, changes that are happening or, you know, what needs to be done to do a certain value add. A really good solicitor who specializes in commercial will sort out everything in between. And, you know, talking to sales agents as well can be helpful because they're going to give you the most up-to-date information on like what the latest sales figures are. And again, a buyer's agent can fill that in as well. So, Mm. you know, they're probably the main people you need. A valuer can be another person as well. Valuers always are the most conservative types in the bunch because they're obviously got, uh, you know, they're going to look at past results and they probably won't see the flow of the market as good as the people on the front line, but they're very good to kind of, you know, put a a bit of a safety net on whatever you're going to do and that'll help things like don't overcapitalize. Make sure you know the market from their point of view as well, Mm -hmm. how they're valuing things. So every expert professional you've mentioned there, essentially you need to pay for their services. So there's no such thing as free advice. Cool. There's no good free advice in, unless you listen to this podcast, obviously. But it's <laughs> not advice. Uh, it's just two guys having a chat, disclaimer. <laughs> you got to pay for this stuff, right? Yeah, and look, we're commercial. The stakes are higher. The rewards mm. are higher, I think. You know, residential has a safety net in everything. You know, And look, you can lose huge money in residential, but think about developing in mm. residential. It's higher risk but potentially higher reward. Commercial's the same. So 
If you're trying to shortcut and do it all yourself, yes, there is. You're not going to know the market as well as others, mm. and you know, doing it all all yourself is a mistake. I think I've always relied on experts. Like, there's a leasing manager in every town that knows more than me about the market, and I'm not going to trust myself. But I've obviously lucky because I've got good contacts on all markets, and then I can just cross check with the latest information, how long it's taken to fill, you know, properties and what types of properties are in vogue and that's going to increase values. So, uh, and then you just use the other experts and a lot of them will give you a lot of information free, but if you're going to actually action a value add, you know, make sure you're actually paying the right experts because mm. you'll and, get it back. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of things there, sort of the research analysis. So this is the, the intersection between the information as a property investor you can source versus, so quantitative versus the quality of this stuff, the conversation narrative you have with you know, real estate agents or whatever. So so what would be your go-to sources for being able to do that research analysis type stuff? Uh, well, I use RP data a lot. Mm. So that's just an easy way to see recent sales, recent rents. Uh, you can actually see how long vacancies have happened on RP data because you can see first listing date okay. on a property to first filled. So lots of intel there. Yeah. And mm. you've just got to obviously compare properties and that. So I really like that. It's pretty much the main one I use. And then outside that, you need to talk to the guys on the ground. So there's no macro, you know, indicators out there that help too much with commercial. So residential, you get your core logics to your Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane reports. And it's all pretty, I guess, easy and transparent. Commercial, mm. it doesn't have that same level of reporting. So, and rightly so, because commercial is lower volume and properties vary a lot more. So there's no standard growth rate you can put on a property. So you really need to just get in at the granular level and understand what's happening on the ground. Some good insights there. So uh, a couple of things, Scott, for our listeners. Number one, please, those questions, please keep them coming. Uh, we'll do, we'll aggregate them over uh, a number of weeks and we'll do a full Q&A episode. Number two, tell your friends about this if they're investing in property. Uh, let them know there is a commercial a property podcast, and it's not a bad one. Everyone seems to think we're doing a pretty good job. And if you like what we're doing, uh, press that subscribe button uh, wherever you're listening to this right now. So uh, every new episode, when it comes out, just comes into your feed so you can uh, listen to it. Finally, Scott, we've spoken about a whole bunch of stuff then. I imagine people's heads are ringing. If anyone's got any questions, they want more insights or information around this, that they can just give you a call. You're happy to Yeah, chat? so yeah? just call our office on 1300 965 551 and uh, we'll answer any questions. Again, we'll give uh, free advice as long as, uh, you know, it's not advice. You've got to be yeah. careful without knowing everything. But, um, you know, we'll point you in the right direction, who to talk to, and obviously answer questions like the one that you brought up earlier. Mm. So, yeah, you're happy some calls. I'm going, hey, look, I've heard on the podcast, I just want to talk to someone about commercial property. Yeah, yeah. you're happy to do that. Education yeah. is the key with this. And, yeah. and you know, we the more we shed insight on this world in you know commercial you know the better so happy to do so well, that's why we're doing what we're doing inside commercial property with rethink investing scott thanks for your time today appreciate it thank you mate see you again next time until then bye-bye